This is episode 68 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your hosts, Tim Bowen. It's the abusive father technique. And Steven Johnson. I'm not doing so bad now. I'm doing okay. I'm on a green month now. Sort of. Because Steven was a little nervous talking with today's guest. Because today, they're talking with the great and powerful Timothy Sykes. If I was an unethical offshore broker, I would bet against Steven Johnson. Now, what makes Tim Sykes so great and powerful, you ask? Well, how many people do you know who walk around with knowledge and experience like this? And so now I short, I go long. I I primarily go long just because there's so many shorts now in the market that these squeezes are ridiculous. It's not just like a stock triples after two or three days. Now these stocks can go up five, 10, 20, 50 times over several weeks. So, or this, you know, some people are like, Tim, I don't want to learn from your short selling videos from seven years ago. It's irrelevant. On the contrary, it's more relevant than ever because you need to think how short sellers think because if you can see that, then you can understand, wait a minute, there's all these shorts involved in this that can create the potential squeeze. Or even this. And I should also mention that, you know, years ago, not as many brokers traded against their clients. Now you have a lot of brokers that recognize that 90 to 99% of clients lose money. So they loan out all the shares to short and then they you know, buy up the shares, then they put out buy to cover alerts for their clients. So they make money on the commissions both ways and they ride it up against their clients. And I I just don't think a lot of- I can't believe something like that would happen on, on Wall Street, Tim. It's a great episode today and be sure to stick around to the very end for an extended Easter egg, an incredible video about rhino poachers in Africa made by Tim's friend, Sam. And this shows a little peek into some of the things that Tim talked about that he does with his money to aggressively make this world a better place. Now watch it on our website or on YouTube to get the full effect. And now, Tim and Tim and Steven, sort of. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. This week we have a guest that you know we've been looking forward to for uh, 14, 15 months now. It took us that long to establish ourselves, to, to, to prove our worth, to our friend, our business partner, our associate, Tim Sykes. It took us, you know, 14, 15 months to finally get him to come on the podcast. He's got a lot of stuff to announce, a lot of stuff that he's working on right now. So we thought it'd be a great time. We'd like to welcome you aboard, Tim Sykes. How's it going? Thank you. No, I just wanted, I wanted to make sure that Steven could blow up a few times so that I could give him shit. Because <laughs> if he just blows up once, then there's not much to talk about. Now he's blown I'm, up a few times, so now I have some ammo. So thank you, Steven Johnson, for all I'm, I'm, I'm not doing so bad now. I'm doing okay. I'm on a green month now. I, I'm up about 700 give bucks. It time, it, it took, give it time. Give it time. You'll start trading <laughs> Facebook. You'll start drinking. You'll start ignoring the rules. Look, I made $400. I'm the best trader ever. Let me go all in. Let me throw out all the rules. He's, he's 15 days into sober October. So, so you know, you yeah. just you basically just got to wait, wait till November, and then he'll be back. So, If I was an unethical offshore broker, I would bet against Steven Johnson, and I would do well because, you know, 90% of traders lose Steven Johnson screws up 90% of the time after he has any hot streak. You're just playing the odds here. I would love to be surprised. That's why I'm bringing this, this up. This, this is my messed up way of teaching. But, you know, this is me new mission, though. messed up himself. So we got to teach him using messed up tactics. It's, 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 the, abusive, it's the abusive father technique. That, that, that's, that's, that's the technique. I, mean, I was nice in the beginning. I was like, it's okay. You'll get it back. It's okay. But that just didn't work. So we got to try everything. I'll go to the mats. You know, I'll go to the mattresses. Whatever we have to do to fix Steven Johnson. No, no. My mission now is just to prove you wrong. Just to say I can't do it. But it, it requires not drinking. My tactics have worked. Make me the enemy. It's not anything to do with you or your lack uh, of discipline. It's no, all me. dude. That's fine. You're not the enemy. You're not the I enemy. I am the enemy. enemy. Have a dark board, put my face on it, and get angry. Once you get angry, <laughs> then maybe you'll get disciplined. Anything except getting drunk and undisciplined. Next topic. <laughs> so Tim, uh, so you're working on a lot of stuff. We're actually, you know, a lot of these episodes are a little time shifted because of the editing and everything, but it's the middle of October right now. You've just announced 
um, a project. Well, you've been working on the project for a while, but just announced kind of the rollout of the website. Also, a great video by uh, Sam Colder. Why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about uh, your latest charity project? Yeah. So, you know, I've been trading for a while. The patterns have been working like better than ever. It's kind of crazy. I've got more students than ever. I've got, I'm in a good place, but at the same time, you know, I see these problems in the world and I, I see the potential of social media and, and like talking about these issues and getting them out there. Um, so I started this uh, charity called Karma Gala. It's basically the Timothy Sykes Foundation, but just with a new name because I don't need any more stuff named after me. There's already enough Tim's in our community. Um, you know, so Karma Gawa, um, Karma, I mean, it's good karma, right? Gawa in the Tagalog language of the Philippines. Um, it means to do or to make. So you're basically doing or making good karma. Um, so we have these hats, um, these hats and t-shirts. I should have probably should have been wearing a t-shirt and we have tote bags and hoodies. Um, and it goes to charity and, you know, we donate to over 55 charities. Now I have a spreadsheet of like a thousand, I have a, actually like 13,000 um, charities that have contacted us, but we have two full-time people who research the charities. So I'm donating my own money. I'm donating DVD money. I'm donating now apparel money. Um, and we're just trying to bring exposure. So it's not just about money. It's also about helping these charities get content because they do such a good job. Like VetPaw, you know, this video by Sam Calder, they're former veterans who, you know, now use their military skills to basically go after um, poachers and prevent these endangered species from going extinct. I mean, we don't realize that elephants and rhinos could be extinct in the next five or 10 years. You know that there's a problem, right? Like we know Africa has issues, but you didn't know how urgent it was. At least I didn't know. Yeah. So and I didn't realize about you know, the issues. one of the things I didn't realize until Sam's uh, video, which well, it'll be linked below and in the show notes is, you know, which, which shouldn't surprise me because we know, you know, a lot of illegal drugs, you know, the opioid trade and stuff like that, all of that stuff funds terrorism. But I did not realize that a lot of this poaching, you know, rhino horn and stuff like that, not only is it, you know, excuse my language, fucking bullshit, they're killing these, you know, uh, endangered animals, but they're then harvesting it, selling that, and then that money then goes to fund terrorism. So it's just like, I mean, it's a terrible circle all the way around. Yeah. So you learn about these things. 40% of terrorism could, you know, be funded by this because it's Africa and like, there's no rules. You know, there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on. And then, you know, you have these Asian people who love, you know, primarily the rhino horn. They think that it's like Viagra um, in their cultures. And it's I think Steven, Steven, you tried that, didn't you? Did you try some rhino horn or not? I, I haven't, but I mean, I will if it helps us cut losses, but uh, no, but I heard that it, there's some, the people think that it will heal them if, if diseases like cancer and things like that, the thing that there's some cultural lucky charm to it, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of old wives tales with it. And unfortunately, a lot of people are willing to pay big money for this and it's no one's fault. It's just, you know, we need to educate. Like we're at this situation where there's only a few uh, thousand rhinos left. And at current rates, we have four to five years left of rhinos. So it's crazy. Like even with all this education and there's a bunch of charities um, that are working on this, you know, the rates haven't gone down and Betpaw only has like a million dollars in funding. I've now donated uh, $250,000 to the cause, but they need more funding. They have 10,000 veterans who want to come down to Africa, oh, wow. um, who, you know, signed up and they want to help protect the animals, but they need money because, you know, it's, it's not cheap to get someone down to Africa. Well, and, and obviously these that. guys got to be compensated. They got to make a living. You know, they can't. Well, they're, I mean, yeah, a lot of these veterans make three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year as private security. So they're not going to make that with Vetpaw, but they need a little bit. And I mean, when we were down there, like we even have night vision goggles. We're going out on a night mission at midnight. There could be poachers. There, there wasn't any this one time. But, you know, I was like, where's the night vision goggles? And they're like, that's expensive. I was like, how are we going out to protect these animals without night vision goggles? And I kind of lost my shit. Um, so I donated uh, an extra 100000 They now have night vision goggles. I'm going back in a few weeks. So I'm going to test out these night vision goggles and quads and, and new equipment and stuff like that. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, and, and just kind of quickly how they find it. So the name of Sam's film and maybe who Sam is and, and so on and so forth. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's cool to donate money. It's cool for me to tell stories, but I'm not like a, photo a great photographer or videographer. So I've, you know, shared what I try to do here with Karma Gala with, you know, the whole social media community. And we've had, 
you know, 30 or 40 different photographers and videographers come on my trips. One of the best is Sam Colder, just a 22 year old guy, but anybody who's into uh, social media and videography knows him. I mean, he has his own transitions. He's an innovator and he came to South Africa with us and he made this documentary. It took, uh, you know, eight months from the time when we went and with all his trips and editing, uh, but it's called The War Against Poachers um, or The War Against Poaching. And it's already gotten a quarter of a million views in like two or three days. People love it. Everyone's learning about poaching, terrorism, and what we can do. And, and we just want people to watch it and share it. Even if you have no money, you can still help fight this terrible thing, you know, just by sharing it. Like education is the key. Uh, that's super cool. I mean, do you still have your foot down on, on opening all of the different schools as well? It was pretty cool when we were at the conference and we saw that Mark Crook had his, had his first school now as well. Is, is, yeah, are you still so, accelerating? So, yeah, I mean, so there's literally over 50 charities that we donate to. Um, I still want to build a thousand schools. We have 45 built um, in, you know, in development. There'll be another seven uh, open in the next few months. So we're doing that, but you know, I'll always build schools. Like education is a lifelong thing, but with the rhinos, I mean, this is urgent. Like if we do, if I'm making this video three or four years from now, there might only be a few hundred rhinos left. And then it's kind of tough to really do anything. Like they'll probably clamp down on like the last a hundred and then we'll have like genetically modified rhinos and stuff. But there's still something that we can do with a few thousand of them right now. Do you, th- do you think if I, if, I, if I don't blow up another account, is it possible I don't need a school, but just like a desk or something, like the Stephen Johnson desk in the Mark Rook school? Can I just have like a desk? I, mean, I, hey, I love opening schools. I love naming them after millionaire students. You know, we have the Tim Grittani School, the Michael Good School, now the Stephen Ducks, and Mark Crook uh, Learning Center. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any successful student, you can get that. And you can also um, get rhinos. You know, I actually donated $25,000 to take this one last rhino from a reserve um, that had 100 rhinos on it. There was only one left after all the poachers killed 99, and we transferred him to a vet paw reserve where he's safe, $25,000. So, you know, schools or rhinos, we're we're trying to save the world here, and it's a a long process. So, Tim, I I mean, I think probably most of the listeners kind of are familiar with you, but just in case they aren't, we kind of launched right into what you're working on now. Why don't you, you know, kind of give the cliff notes a little bit of, of who you are, how you got started, you know, just in case some listeners maybe aren't familiar with your story. Sure. Um, you know, I started with roughly 12 grand. My parents gave me control of my bar mitzvah gift money. They thought I would lose it all. They thought I would learn the value of a dollar. Um, and, well, and, and so how old are you roughly at this point? Like a hundred. Um, no, no, no. The, the depression. Um, no, no. I'm 37 right now. This no, was, no. I'm saying when you got the money, when you got the money. How this was 20 years ago. Okay. Um, so I turned the 12,000 into nearly 2 million in my first four years. Right place, right time. I'm in the, the stock bubble. Um, I was just buying penny stock breakouts. I would sometimes make 50%. I would lose 30%. Very little risk management. But when you're in the right place at the right time, there's so much money to be made. Uh, for example, in the first four months of the year 2000, I made over $700,000 while a freshman in college. Um, I had fake IDs taken away. I couldn't even go out. Like, and I'm downloading illegal movies on like Merck. And you know, I still made 700 grand in the first four months. Then the stock market crashed and I lost 10 grand over the next eight months. Um, and I was forced to learn short selling. Then I made another million short selling. So. I've made a lot and, you know, I've made millions since long and short, but I've made a lot and, and now I just want to teach. I was in this uh, TV show called Wall Street Warriors in 2006. It was basically a reality show. I was like Steven Johnson. I was drunk in every episode and uh, it works. You know, the Steven Johnson uh, method of, of likability works. And so uh, me being trash got everyone all excited to learn stock trading. I started getting a ton of emails. So I closed my hedge fund down. Not because we lost everything. Um, I did have a big loss of roughly 30%, but we finished up 2% per year over four years. Fucking terrible. Um, but I could have made it back if I had been focusing on trading, but I couldn't ignore all the emails. When people saw me on TV and they saw how drunk I was, um, they wanted to learn. And so I started teaching. I became the number one ranked trader at a 60,000 on Covester, which was a website that popped up right when I got started teaching that verified everything. Yeah, which is roughly, you know, that, that's kind of roughly when I found you about 2007, 2008. 
And, you know, it was, it was interesting. You would, because, you know, I, I'd never made any money trading, even though I had a lifelong interest in finance, but, you know, nobody was teaching this niche back then. You know, nobody talked about, nobody talked about low price stocks and, and nobody talked about short selling and doubly so nobody talked about short selling low price stocks. And as soon as I found you kind of started learning this stuff, it was like, holy shit. Because those were the days, you know, I mean, practically everything was a one and done. They'd all spike, fade late day, and then break down, you know, break down the next day. So it was like, wow, there's this little niche that nobody was talking about. And back then, you were the only one talking about it. Yeah. I mean, well, the TV show helped me understand how little people know about trading or knew. Um, I would get emails saying, short selling penny stocks is illegal. You're a criminal. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I'm using E-Trade to short. <laughs> But a lot of brokers, when they can't find shares to short, and then you know their customers are calling them up saying, "Hey, why can't you short it?" They just lie. Brokers or just- or their their customers get destroyed trying to short these stocks. Well, so I mean, they, the brokers they basically just they, they kind of ignore it and be yeah. like, "Oh, eh. the brokers don't want people to short because they don't make enough, and there's unlimited risk. And in the hands of newbies, short selling is very dangerous, as we've seen a lot of shorts blow up lately. So. The brokers aren't wrong, but it's not illegal. Um, it's, you can short. And so now I short, I go long. I, I primarily go long just because there's so many shorts now in the market that these squeezes are ridiculous. It's not just like a stock triples after two or three days. Now these stocks can go up 5, 10, 20, 50 times over several weeks. So it's just been better. And, and you've come to the same conclusion where you know we just go long and it's so much easier and less stressful. But there's still a lot of shorts who like punishment, you know, they have childhood issues like Steven Johnson and they just want that pain to, you know, maybe they're, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they, you know, and again, this will let Steven give his psychological profile here, but I don't well, think some okay. of these guys like, like Steven, I don't think they can feel pleasure without a little bit of pain. You know, I think that's like the goo goo doll no, song. Sometimes you bleed just to feel that you're alive. And so it's like <laughs> a psychological thing where they subconsciously want pain and they enjoy it, but then they complain, why am I losing? I'm not a therapist, okay? Um, I, don't, I don't pretend to be, but I just want people to profit. And if you have daddy issues, if you like pain, if you want losses, don't become my student. You're just going to make me look bad. You're going to make yourself look bad. I want to make people rich. And even if you have you know, childhood issues, like when you're rich, then you can afford better therapists and get over it quicker. Uh, and or and or a, a you know perhaps. throughout life because you can't fix them. Your therapists suck. They're going to drag you down your entire life. So if you do have these issues, that should be motivation even more to be able to afford the five hundred dollar an hour, a thousand dollar an hour therapist who will fix you. Or possibly, you know, in Stephen's case, maybe like an S and M type madam or something like that. Maybe maybe that's something he should pursue. Try different strategies. Whatever <laughs> works. It, it really doesn't matter. You know, like people judge different strategies and different tactics. If it solves the problem, if Steven needs, you know, some S&M mistress in his life to fix him, by all means, do it. But let's make sure she's a good S&M, not like some amateur S&M where, you know, it's just going to be bad. Like, I mean, the part of the reason why like Fifty Shades did so well in movie theater, Steven just kept going back and, <laughs> and again, like... He got banned absolutely, absolutely. from seeing this movie so much. It's like crazy. I'm like, Steven, come on, dude. I had to, I had to fly to Kuwait to save because it was banned here. So, so I just keep on getting plane tickets. But I mean, uh, no, was, but I mean, he, he was the main subscriber of Movie Pass, so you could see unlimited movies. And then, you know, Steven now, like, he just got banned from all these theaters. So now Movie Pass is in trouble and their whole business model is screwed. But, but, on one serious note, I mean, I think back in the day, shorts, it was easier to borrow a little bit and there was less people shorting and the market seems to have picked up more volume, I would say now. You, you no, would not, you, 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 I think it's harder to short now. No. It's harder I mean, to short, but there's more shares to short. The brokers now have the demand, so now they're whoring themselves out, as brokers do, for commissions. So there's many more shares to short. I have a whole video called No Borrow, No Cry with 77 different pump and dumps with, that had very little to no shares to short. Now almost every stock is shortable, but that opens it up to short squeezes. So it's good and bad. It's good that you're now able to short. It's bad because, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and newbies have none of it. Um, so you have these massive squeezes. So 
there's a lot more volatility. There's a lot more opportunity, especially from the long side now. So this is why, you know, some people are like, Tim, I don't want to learn from your short selling videos from seven years ago. It's irrelevant. On the contrary, it's more relevant than ever because you need to think how short sellers think because if you can see that, then you can understand, wait a minute, there's all these shorts involved in this that can create the potential squeeze. Some of the worst fundamentally fucked companies like DRYS goes from five to 105 days. That never happened a decade ago. That never happened two decades ago. Yeah, I think, you know, what has happened, the brokers have recognized that this is a huge profit center. I mean, remember, a lot of these brokers, they'll, they'll charge you, you know, you're not only, you know, you're not just paying commissions, but you're paying borrow fees, you're paying locate fees. And then also, we know the number, what's the number one thing newbies do? They get stuck short. They hold overnight. A lot of these brokers, they triple, triple. quadruple your fees overnight. So what's, you know, and, and kind of just to address your point, Stephen, it's easier to borrow now because they've opened it up because I think they recognized that it's worth their risk management. They can make so much on these fees that if, if a lot of people blow up, they're coming out ahead. And I should also mention that, you know, years ago, not as many brokers traded against their clients. Now you have a lot of brokers that recognize that 90 to 99% of clients lose money. So they loan out all the shares to short and then they, you know, buy up the shares. Then they put out buy to cover alerts for their clients. So they make money on the commissions both ways and they ride it up against their clients. And I, I just don't think a lot of- I can't believe something like that would happen on, on Wall Street, Tim. I, I just don't think, I don't think there was enough volume or enough reason to do it a decade or two decades ago. Now it's common practice. And us talking about it, you know, there's only going to be a few of us who are going to think, oh, wow, this is amazing. And it creates all this volatility, all these um, kind of niches where you can take 5, 10, 20, 30, 50% profits in a day or two with these short squeezes, with the ensuing morning panics. Um, it just opens up so much opportunity. There wasn't as much volume um, two decades ago. So we're in a very good time. I've been waiting for a stock market crash just so I can get some sleep. But I'm doing a monthly recap video. Normally, it was going to be like an hour. I have so many tweets and comments and charts. This is going to be like a three-hour video lesson tomorrow with my monthly recap. Like, it's insane. I can't even keep up, and it's a good problem to have. So, you know, on that note, kind of, you know, again, if, if, if someone's kind of getting to know you and what you do, explain, you know, you know, what you do on a daily basis, you know, what the challenge is, you know, what, what are the educational products and, you know, and, and kind of what, what are you doing on a day-to-day to teach people how to learn to trade these stocks? Yeah. So aside from saving the world and the rhinos and the, the educational system um, all over the world, I'm also trading stocks still. I go back to $12,000 roughly every year, my starting roots, and I try to grow it. Um, like today, for example, I made a thousand on Friday. I made like three thousand on Thursday. I made like five hundred on Wednesday. I think I lost five hundred. So, remember that, and, and that's trading with a small account too. You know, yeah, so correct. Trading, yeah, yeah. Trading with a small account with small positions because I'm trying to, you know, teach you guys exact dollar amounts. Like it does me no good if I trade with like a ten million dollar account and be like, look, I made you know three hundred thousand dollars today. It would be just something that I rant about a lot. You know, you know something I talk about and we talk about on the podcast a lot is be careful who you follow on social media because there's a, a lot, lot of guys of out there that are that are flashing big numbers, but you don't realize how much of daddy's money they got. Well, there's there's daddy's money and there's you know paper traders. It's not necessarily real money, and then they're also risky a lot like it's not enough just to say oh i made fifty thousand dollars today how much did yeah you risk? if you were if you were down a hundred you know if you were down a hundred at 10 a.m and you made 50 at 2 p.m yeah. I mean, how much made- leverage did you use you really need to see people's entire trades it's not just about their dollar profits or losses like even if you have a loss it can be a good loss because you cut losses quickly a lot of newbies are um, discouraged by losses like oh i don't care what the stock did i lost a hundred dollars i hate it and then you might take a terrible trade, scalp like Alibaba and made 200 and be like, I love trading. It's not just about the money that you make or lose. It's the process. And can that process actually make you into a millionaire? And I'm very proud. We now have five millionaires um, with several more now in the six figures. Uh, Mike Huddy, you know, new challenge student. Uh, well, not new, not new student, but new six figure student. He's been studying for three years. He just passed 150000 in profits, Which, graduated college, now making $5,000 a day. My student, Mason, second-year challenge student, 
Um, he's, you know, made 11 grand today. He's over 160. My trading challenge is where you have like live webinars, you have video lessons, you have mentorship, you have a curriculum. Um, that's where all my millionaires are being created. So it's not just enough for me to trade and make videos. We have a whole team now and I'm, I'm so grateful for everybody, including you guys. Which, uh, you know, it, it, for the listeners, if you want to kind of go back, like, Huddy is a, is a great story. You know, we did a podcast with him, I think, last fall. I mean, talk about an amazing story. He started out with a, you know, and we talk about it in the podcast. He started out with a $20 ramen. Link the, link the podcast below yep. this. Too. We will. Yep, yep. Um, which he didn't turn that $20 account into a six-figure account. But it's just amazing. He started out with a $20 account buying, you know, one-cent stocks. And over time, staying diligent, studying, following the challenge, he's now a six-figure guy. And Tim Grittani is my you know, biggest success story. Started with 1500 of his own money. Actually lost his 1500 ignoring the rules, ignoring rule number one about cutting losses quickly. Restarted with 1500 of his own money. Now he's over $7 million in seven years. But he made nothing for the first nine months. So everybody was like, oh, I want to make millions. Be prepared for nothingness, for terrible frustration and no money whatsoever for a year at least. And that's, that's not fun, but that's reality. You need to learn this stuff before you can make big money. If you make big money too quick, you're like a lotto winner. You're like a childhood star. You're like a sports athlete who's just signs a big deal and you'll probably fuck it all up and lose it all. So it's important to learn the hard way. Even though we make fun of Steven Johnson, at least he's learning to lose small. Like he thinks his life is over when he loses $500 or $5,000 and that brings on an all-nighter drinking in the bars. I mean, imagine if, if he lost 50000 in a day. What is he going to do, heroin for like a week straight? Like, it's better <laughs> to lose small. We, we, we did discuss he, he, he was considering taking up an opioid habit. So we, we did talk. I, we did, I, I was thinking about it. If you lose six figures in a day, I'm scared for you. So I'm glad that you're losing small. Even though it, it's frustrating and it hurts, Losing small isn't going to affect your life one way or the other in the long run, but it's going to help you learn what not to do. And you have to learn what not to do to learn what to do. No different than like a newborn baby drinking, you know, water, a newborn baby that's thirsty, doesn't know like what steaming hot water is, takes a sip, burns his tongue. He won't drink the steaming water. Hot water burn baby. Hot water burn baby. (laughs) No, but I mean, with the likes of Huddy though as well, I mean, I remember Huddy, he had one year of losing and then his second year he was back and forth. But every but the thing that it misses with Huddy a little bit is he consistently worked hard for three straight years. So he didn't try really hard in one year, then not try hard in the second year. He kept on going back to the DVDs. He kept on thinking, I've just saw this pattern live. How how did it trade in the DVDs? What does Tim Grittani say? Or what does Sykes say? And then he went back to like reflect on that. And I don't think people realize that it's like three hard years of work. For some people, maybe it's others, it's two, maybe some it's one. But yeah, and, and even when you get it, like you still have to learn. Even when you get a pattern, the market could change. You might be like two years in and be like, I get it, I understand. And then the market changes and you're like, I'm lost. That's the frustration. But the good news is it's not forever. Look, this isn't rocket science. You're not going to be studying for 10 or 20 years. Like one, two, three years, you're going to see quite a bit. And if the market changes, accept it. Go outside, go live a little. Because when there's so many plays, like today, there was like a dozen good plays. You couldn't, you couldn't like throw a rock at one of these weed stocks that wasn't spiking 10, 20, 30%. I made $1,000. I underestimated YGYI by $3 a share. I underestimated PURA by like 30%. And I still profited on both. So it's not about perfection. It's about taking what you can every day, whether it's profits or knowledge or both. It would, is that, is that, Though, is that some sort of like water monster behind you? What, what is that thing? This is a painting. No, what, the, what is that, that, that creature <laughs> behind you? This, that's a sculpture from Murano, Italy. It's, it's made out of glass. We watched them make it live, my parents and I. It was actually ah, cool. okay. I thought it was like that. It, was it like the deep where that monster like comes out and like shakes? No, that would be cool if like I'm talking about it and then it just attacks me. Get that. <laughs> get that live. Can we do that in post, Glenn? Can we get it like... So Tim, what, uh, you know, kind of what, what do you got coming up? Um, you know, so we talked about what you worked, what you worked with Kamigawa. 
talked about the challenge what you're working on now. What, what, do, you, what do you have coming up? What, any, yeah, any cool I mean, just projects? more the same. Like it's, you have to learn to love the process. So I'm still going to be teaching. I'm still going to be trading, making video lessons. I have a three-hour video lesson coming tomorrow, which is going to be insane. Um, I'm doing an all-day live trading event on Friday for challenge students. That's going to be fun. Um, you know, you can go to karmagawa.com. Now you can get these hats and shirts and totes and hoodies and more stuff coming up that's going to support schools and animals um, all over the world. And I'm going to keep taking trips. I'm going back to Africa in a few weeks, um, not just to Vetpaw, but also to a new charity that we're supporting called DSWT, um, David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. And they uh, basically take care of baby orphaned elephants. So you might see pictures of me feeding a baby elephant and, and trying to lift one because apparently the babies are, are liftable. So we'll see. Um, I don't know. I'm going to keep doing more of the same. And I think I want all of you guys to fall in love with the process, um, not just, you know, oh, what's something new that I can do? What's a new pattern? What's a new play? History repeats itself. And it's pretty amazing with these low price stocks, the same stocks that you might see on one of my DVDs from a decade ago or eight years ago, it's still spiking and it respikes. Not because the company is good, just because idiots buy the same hyped up news, the same bullshit sectors keep going. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing that penny stocks are all based on individuals. Like there aren't big hedge funds. There aren't the smartest, richest people in the world playing these because there's just not enough money. You know, the, the absolute best penny stock traders in the world only make a few million dollars a year. And that means there's not a lot of competition. That's a good thing. The top traders in the world make a few million dollars or a few billion dollars in a few days or weeks. Like it's crazy the kind of money that's out there. But I don't want any part of it because it's too hard. Penny stocks, you know, it's already hard enough, even though I think it's the easiest niche of them all. So um, keep in mind to the listeners, we did, uh, you know, if you want to kind of, you know, good int- or kind of reference to what Tim was talking about, the patterns repeating. We did a, I think, seven or eight episode entire series on Trader Checklist. Um, you can check that out in the podcast archives. You can also go to TraderChecklist.com. It's all 100% free. Tells you about exactly what Tim is talking about. And then you can also go to TimothySykes.com. He's Timothy Sykes everywhere on social. You can kind of check him out and get, you know, and get, a, get a good read of what he's doing. But I highly recommend Trader Checklist. You can't go wrong. It's yeah, all free. It really, it really gets you started on, on what this niche is and how it is repeatable. You know, there's stuff Tim's talking about in Trader Checklist from three years ago. Some of the stocks, same stocks we're talking about right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have to say as well. I've I've seen the vast majority of the DVDs, and it's and it's funny because Trader Checklist is my favorite, and it's also free. Uh, it, and it's it, also the least viewed out of all of them because I I go over seven indicators, and that's too much for people. People are just like, oh, what's a good company? What's a good pick? And I'm like, well, there's a sliding scale. Like it depends on what is the flow, what is the market, what's the sector doing, and people don't want to think in terms of multiple indicators. They just want one. So it's a little too complex for people, but frankly, you need, you know, to think about multiple indicators. It, it'll increase your odds on, on literally every single trade. Yeah. And if it's too complicated, watch it three times. And it's not that complicated. It's just not as simple as you want it to be. Everybody wants this game to be what they want. And it doesn't work like that. The game is the way that it is. You have to adapt to what it is. The market's not going to come to you, okay? I know today, like when we're filming this, I mean, there's literally hundreds of students who have made a five hundred, a thousand, even five or ten thousand dollars, and the game seems so easy. But that's just on days like today. Tomorrow, there might be no place. And a lot of people have to understand this is not like a nine to five job. You don't get paid hourly. Um, it's being ready for the best plays, and then learning to take you know, the foot off the pedal when there are no great plays. And that's tough for a lot of people because you make money, you love that feeling, you want some more of it, but then there might not be any plays. Like the market is not an exact science and people have to learn. You might have 20 plays in four days and they're all amazing and then no plays for a week or two. And that's tough for people to accept. This is why we have to talk about it. You know, I'm proud of you, Stephen, even though I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kidding around a lot about this stuff, but like, you're getting better over time. You're learning the ins and the outs. And that's what it comes down to. You haven't made that much. You haven't lost that much 
in the grand scheme of things, but you've learned a lot. So while it might feel like, oh, he's spending so much time and not making money, it takes time to learn the foundation. You have to see how bad it feels when you lose money. Well, and you know, say, like they're not, they're not cautious enough. Like, how do you, how do you prevent big losses? How do you make sure? Well, I say, well, take a fucking big loss, see how you feel. And then you never want that feeling again. You know, ignore all my rules about cutting losses quickly. Ignore all risk management. Just go crazy one time and see what happens. Go crazy 10 times. You might lose all your money. You might go into debt if you're short selling, but at least you'll learn to respect the rules. And I personally had a big loss. You know, even while I was running my hedge fund, I lost 500 grand investing in my best friend's dad's company, threw out my trading rules, no risk management, fell in love with the technology, turned out to be right about the technology, turned out to be right about the company, but after they declared bankruptcy and wiped out shareholders like me. So the market will teach you how to act. And what you can do is try to understand from those of us who came before you, oh, we're trying to teach you rules. We're trying to teach you guidelines. It's not an exact science, but we know that cutting losses quickly works. If you don't believe me, ignore it and see how you do. Yeah, and I think, you know, something that, that we talk about a lot is, you know, you, you, I, I call him the golden boy because I love him so much. But, you know, Tim Gratani, you mentioned it earlier in this. I mean, if for nine months he made no money. And Steven's 14 months. I mean, so, so, you know, basically, yeah, six months longer or whatever, seven months or whatever it is. But, I mean, it's like the maybe the best penny stock trader in the history of mankind made no money for nine months and Steven's 14 months along. I mean, for, for me, and, and what I will definitely say about the challenge is, is I had a year in the challenge, and I think that year, it, it, it gave me the solid foundations for me to have to know what to do to trade profitably. And it was actually like month 13, I started to have like seven green months, eight green months out, no, six green months out of eight. But what I then needed to go on to learn is, is discipline. So I learned from the challenge, I learned the foundations of how to become a profitable trader. And I thought, right, I know enough now to make money in the market. I know, I know the patterns. I know how to trade the patterns. I've, I've seen enough. But then it was a battle with myself. And, and, and that's been an ongoing battle that's slowly getting better and better and better. I mean, uh, we'll see what- take, take away my first few years where, frankly, I was in the right place at the right time. I didn't learn my rules. I didn't have my rules down pat seven, eight years in. So a lot of people just don't have the right mindset. You think that you're going to get everything right away. I mean, Tim Gratani, let's not forget, he lost all of his $1,500 at first. He lost everything, okay? Even though it was only $1,500, he blew up. Michael Good lost $100,000 before he started with me. He blew up. Almost every single top trader that I know blew up and they lost everything. So if you don't lose everything, you're ahead of the curve. And think about where you'll be year three, year four, year five, year 10. Okay. It's crazy. I'm texting Huddy, you know, he's in year three, making five, 10 grand a day now. And he's like, I'm excited for the future. Not just, you know, three months, but three or 10 years from now. It's cool. Once it all clicks, once you learn the process, but until you learn that process, until you get in the groove, it's frustrating as hell. Um, it's amazing to see how it clicks for different people. Sometimes it takes a hot sector where like there's all these stocks running with the same pattern. Sometimes it's one trade. Um, sometimes it's just a gradual process. There's no clear way for me to get it to click. And even when it does click, you might get cocky and then go backwards. So there's different levels, but everyone should have like a five-year time horizon on this. Where can you go in five years? What can you do today and every day for the next few years to put yourself in a good spot to take advantage of all the plays that'll happen in five years. The market's not going anywhere. It's always going to be around. So you have to put yourself in the best position to capitalize on the opportunities, whether it's today, a year from now, five years from year, or even 50 years from now. What can you learn? How can you be best prepared with the right broker, with the right position, with the right mindset, with the right plan, with the right rules? All of that plays a part in becoming a good, solid, consistently profitable trader. Yeah, and, and it comes back to the, the, I remember a long while ago, about a year and a half ago, there was a, a, bas- was a, there was a basketballer and, it, and he was looking back on his younger self. Was it basketball? Yeah, Ray Allen. Ras- Ray Allen. Boring old and, habits. And the key was just repeating, but it was, there was a couple of things that was showing up. There was doing a little bit more work than everyone else and there was staying in it for the long term. And, it, and it, those attributes of success are just exactly what you've just described. Be there every day and just be there for the long term. 
Yeah, and it's not just about the big wins. Like, you know, in that article, which you should link below, um, Ray Allen, Boring Old Habits, you know, he won an NBA championship and he went into the dentist's office the next day. And the dentist is like, what are you doing here? Like, you just won the NBA championship. And he's like, well, you know, it's another day. I got to go to the dentist. It's just like another day. So celebrate the highs and respect the lows, but also understand that it's a marathon. Any one trade doesn't matter unless you let it. If you go all in, you say, I'm done, screw it. Let me just, you know, go big. And if you win, that's cool. If you lose, then you, you lose everything. You should never come to that point. Um, it's the process. It's the marathon. And I know that's not fun. That's not what people want to hear. But the process of becoming a millionaire is not fun. A lot of people tweet at me when I, you know, talk about this stuff. And they're like, no, you know, live every day like it's your last. And I'm like, well, you do that. And you're going to end up with a shitty life your entire life. You're going to work for somebody else. And you'll wish that every day was your last. Like, it's fun once you have the knowledge, once you have the self-sufficiency, once you have the money. I'm planning my fucking Africa trip. I'm going to spend probably a quarter of a million dollars over three weeks because I fucking can. And I love that. I'm going to help the rhinos. I'm going to go see these beautiful waters. I'm going with a bunch of really cool people. We're going to document everything. That's the fun that you can have after you put in the time and hard work for years on end. Otherwise, don't do it. Go fucking Netflix. Go smoke your marijuana. Go play Fortnite. Go look forward to the weekends because you'll have nothing else to do over the weekdays because you'll be working for a shitty corporation, for a boss that you hate. You'll be in debt all your fucking life and you'll be miserable. And that's the majority of people. 75% under the age of 30 hate their jobs. Why do you think that is? Because they didn't put in enough time with their education. I'm not talking about college education bullshit. I'm talking about using the fucking internet using this amazing time that we're alive in where you have all the tools in your very own home or library if you're fucking homeless and you can just use this tool to grow your mind so that you can then take advantage of the world in which we live. And it might not be penny stock trading. Maybe I can teach you, okay, here's some good things and bad things about trading. Maybe you'll get into the marijuana business too because it's exploding. Maybe that'll be your rise. Like I get emails from people saying, Tim, you taught me work ethic. That's awesome. I didn't get into stocks, but I got into whatever sector. Do what you love, okay? Like, the world is so amazing. There's so many different ways to make money. There's so many different ways to enjoy your freedom. But the vast majority of people don't think outside the box. That's why we have to go in there with a motherfucking hammer and just, you know, nail you in the head until you understand the opportunity that you have. Every yeah, I don't think there's... Day, Put in hours, put in 10 hours, put in 15 fucking hours. Some of you guys are so lazy. Oh, there's so many video lessons. There's so many DVDs I can't watch. Shut the fuck up, you little baby, okay? You're going to live a miserable fucking life and you're going to pay some therapists millions of dollars over the course of your life. You're going to pay alcohol companies and other fucking pharmaceutical companies millions of dollars trying to treat your fucking disappointment and your depression when you can fix it yourself by paying us for education that will change your motherfucking life. So get on it. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a better time. I mean, you talk about the explosion of the internet 20 years ago, but now, I mean, whether it even be YouTube or, or you know, which, which is free or all these paid products, I mean, there is no reason to be stuck. You know, you've got unlimited opportunities to learn and grow. I mean, there really is, you know, I mean, again, you know, Tim, Tim actually donated to my local library. You know, there's libraries you can learn, you can, you can get books, you can get on the internet a library. I mean, yeah, it's going to take time and it's going to be hard, but man, there's never been a better time. And I, and I it's think it's only back, getting better. It's exactly. only getting better. Bowen is in East Bumblefuck, Michigan. You know, Steven's in fucking Dubai. I'm in Miami on the way to fucking Africa. Like the world has gotten very small. We've never had this in the history of mankind. We've never been so connected and yet, because not enough people are utilizing this stuff the right way, like they're doing World of Warcraft. Oh, like, let me talk on my fucking headset and talk with this guy. Oh, wait, you take the guy on the left. I'll take, shut the fuck it's, up. It's Fortnite. It's Fortnite. World of Warcraft. Old news. People are watching sports like, oh, my team won last night. Oh, my God. What did they win? What did they win? They made up a fucking war with a fucking piece of leather that they're kicking around and playing around with, and they're saying that's war. Why not take on some real fucking war that's going on in Africa that's life-changing, that's going to kill these fucking animals forever? Why don't you do something meaningful for once? Sports? entertainment, video games, it's all fine, but it wastes our fucking lives away. So don't do that. Focus on education. 
focus on travel, focus on your potential, focus on this fucking revolutionary tool that we're using right now and utilize it to change your fucking life. I'm pissed. Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A Ron from New York City, and I like to go outside and find a stray dog, preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade Podcast. You can register to win real, actual prizes at their website, SteadyTrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City. Back in February, I found myself face-to-face with a rhino about to have its horn cut off. Rhino horns have been a talk of great controversy for a long time now, and with the rising demand, the population of rhinos is rapidly decreasing. Poachers are risking it all to kill rhinos and get their hands on a horn. So why am I filming a rhino about to have its horn removed? It's a long story, and a tough one for me to tell. But after witnessing firsthand the events that happened before my eyes in South Africa, I knew it was a story that had to be told. So let me take you way back to the very start. It all started on an early morning hike somewhere in Hawaii. The sun had just come up from behind the horizon when I received a phone call. Hello? Yo, what's up, Sam? Tim here. I just found this badass charity down in South Africa called Vetpaw. They help save endangered species. We gotta tell their story, man. Okay, hold up. So there's this guy I met when I was in the Philippines last year. His name's Tim Sykes. And I gotta say, he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I'm back with Tim Sykes. The internet has changed everything. I'll teach anybody. That's the beautiful thing. Like Tim Sykes is a self-made millionaire trader and the creator of the Millionaire Seen by the world as this incredibly wealthy stock trader who's gathered a following of countless people across the globe looking to him for insight into the world of finance, I've been able to get to know him personally and learn a little bit more about Tim. Wealth and, and money for money's sake is not going to make you happy yeah. in life. Money does not buy you happiness. You have got to identify your purpose in life, your mission, your reason for being. Tim's reason for being? To help change the world one step at a time through his charity, Karmagawa. So that's Tim. And you know, I would never say no to an opportunity like this. That night we met up with the crew we'd be spending the next week with. This is Matt. He'll be anyone in a dance battle and one of the best photographers I know. And then there's the twins. Yeah, we're gonna have a really hard time differentiating you guys. What more can I say? We it. And then there's Tim. I don't think anyone goes as hard as this guy in karaoke. And of course, he's the one that made this whole thing possible. We set out the next morning to our first stop in Zululand, an area east of Johannesburg known for its big open plains full of wildlife. After a couple of hours, we touched down in Zululand, where we set off by car to Minyani, a private reserve where they focus their efforts on animal conservation. This is beautiful. We went out for a game drive to check the surrounding landscapes and to catch our first African sunset. We managed to see some zebras and giraffes on our way back to camp. That night things started to get real when we received a briefing over dinner on what the next day would look like. 
I went to bed kind of nervous knowing what we were going to be witnessing the next day and the fact that I was going to be documenting it. The next morning we packed up and went out into the reserve in search for a rhino. I never understood why someone would want to kill one of these sacred animals until I learned that a rhino horn can sell on the black market for upwards of half a million US dollars. Due to the countless rhino deaths over the last few decades, conservationists have been trying various methods to stop poachers from killing the rhino. But when it comes down to it, if the horn is left on the rhino, the odds of it being killed are far greater than without the horn. This has left many conservationists with no other option than to remove the horn themselves. This was the morning we set off to document the operation firsthand. The reason why we do horning, I think it's important you know why we do it. We're not doing it for guest entertainment. It's not so that you guys can enjoy the experience. It's to prevent rhino poaching. We um, lost a lot of rhino historically. From 2014, we suddenly um, lost our first rhino, and that year we lost eight. The year thereafter, we lost another six. And then 2016, we lost another two. That's when we sat down and said, um, right guys, we need to make a decision. Right now, there are roughly 5,000 rhinos remaining, and since 2013, roughly 1,000 have been killed each year. If you do the math, that doesn't give us much time until rhinos will be gone forever. We're at the point now that if we don't do anything now, we'll lose both elephants and rhinos um, within 10 years. The rhino would be tranquilized from a helicopter and tracked until sedated before starting the operation. Let's rather do horn because um, it does make it less attractive to poachers. In other words, increased risk of getting caught and very little reward. So it's, it's an emergency. It's a crisis. It's a war. So here's the deal. Rhino horns are made up of keratin, the same stuff your hair and fingernails are made up of. Poachers will go in and cut off as much of the horn as possible, usually killing the rhino or severely dismembering its face. The footage you're about to see can be disturbing. This is a rhino after a poacher got to it, and to me, a clear indicator why people are devoting their lives to help protect these animals. Rhino conservationists cut safely above the growth plate, unaffecting the rhino's health and leaving a stump that grows back in two to three years. And because rhinos have no natural predators besides poachers, living without a horn does not make them more vulnerable out in the wild. I just knew there was an injustice that I had the skills to assist in that injustice. Similar to, this, to the way that 9-11 hit me, uh, seeing something, an animal, like a rhino with its face cut off, die a miserable death, uh, I just wasn't okay with that. And so I just kind of decided, if you're passionate about something that it hurts in your stomach, then you need to go after it. So that's what I did. In no time, the rhino was back up on its feet and reunited with its mother. As we left, it was reassuring to know our rhino friend would be safer from the threat of poachers out in the wild. We spent the next couple days learning about the other animal conservation work being done in Zululand before heading out to our next destination. This is one of two private reserves Vetpaw protects year-round, day and night. A landmass spanning over 40,000 hectares, and because of Vetpaw's active duty here, it is known to be full of wildlife, which of course inevitably brings in the attention of poachers. Uh, our property sits in a really unique location um, in Africa. We've got a lot of borders that are close by, and that means they can come in, poach the animal, and take off across a border and escape out of this jurisdiction. And so being here, we've been able to, to stop that from happening. Um, we've never had a rhino or an elephant poached under our watch um, in five years, which we're extremely proud of. But, but the other thing that you have to watch out for is, you know, as we step up our game, so do poachers. So we always have to be on the lookout. And the goal here is to, to create one of the largest rhino sanctuaries in, in Africa, and we hope to do that one day. VETPAW stands for Veterans Empowered to Protect African Wildlife. We utilize the skills of post-9-11 veterans who served in Iraq or Afghanistan and other places throughout the world to empower park rangers and train them in field tactics that we use in the military. And then they can then apply those to conservation and counter-poaching operations. We got to spend an evening out on the shooting range with the crew to see them train firsthand. 
Although these guys do train with guns, they rarely ever have to use them. Something they use far more often in this war are dogs. This guy's name is Henry. He trains dogs in the Battle of Antipotion. My partner uh, against crime is Arrow. He's a three-year-old uh, German Shepherd. Arrow helps tremendously in the fight against poaching. His job is to track and find suspects. Arrow is especially useful when it comes to tracking at night. Because of this, the crew is able to track poachers without using light and giving up their position. Yeah! Nice! Vepa also takes care of several lions and a leopard that were all rescued at a young age. We got to go into their enclosure and feed them. A pretty wild moment that I'll never forget. We spent our last evening trying to track down some elephants. Just as the sun was about to set, we spotted a few off in the distance. Is that's, it gonna that's be? extremely close. Yeah. On our last night, we were invited out on a night mission with the crew. Most poaching happens at night because poachers can operate unseen under the radar. So Vepa regularly goes out and patrols, especially on a new moon when it's the darkest out. You guys are the first people we've ever taken that are not a part of Vepa. Hudson, this on our drive out, we learned something completely new none of us had heard before. That this was not just a battle between conservationists and poachers, but terrorists as well. We learned that poaching funds many terrorist organizations around the world. It's well documented that poaching funds terrorism and terror cells all throughout Africa. Even in Al-Shabaab, it's reported that approximately 40% of their operational costs and funding comes through poaching. So we just made it to our first location. Uh, we're parking the cars and we're gonna climb this mountain and scout from there. Poaching right now is, is at the extreme level. I mean, they're poisoning, they're using IEDs in some places, improvised explosive devices, uh, high caliber uh, assault rifles, tranquilizers even to, to put the animal down so that you can't hear gunshots. From the observation point, we set off to the border of the property where one of the crew spotted some fresh spore. It's, uh, it's pretty insane watching these guys do what they do firsthand. Like, there's absolutely no way I would be able to find footsteps in the middle of nowhere. We've got fresh spore, which is a footprint. This is within probably an hour or two. We followed the footprints to a common pathway animals take in that area, which led us to a snare trap that was set up within the past couple of hours. A simple yet very effective and deadly trap that squeezes tighter on the animal as it tries to pull itself out. So it looks like it's the end of the night. We've been out for a couple hours. We've managed to find a snare trap that was set up uh, within the past two hours. Yeah, it's a successful night. We managed to um, gather one more snare and uh, potentially save one more animal's life. We're going to call it a night and head back to base camp. Before we knew it, we were looking at our last sunrise in Africa. Jacob, Matt, and I went out on our last game drive to say goodbye to this magical place. Matt and everybody, um, I think that we all had like this amazing time, like just learning about stuff and seeing all the work that you're doing. And I know like what you're doing, it's like a thankless job, you know, I mean, every single day, like you're fighting the good fight and not many people give you props that you deserve. All, all talk aside, I mean, you, you guys need money and, and you need better equipment. So I know, like, I donated the 75000 but I'm going to donate 100000 more. Thank you so much.
After seeing these animals firsthand and the unseen effort and dedication Vepaw and their team were investing, it made me grow a new sense of respect and understanding towards the battle of anti-poaching. The reason I made this video was to raise awareness. And the reason I'm sharing it with you is because I believe we have the power to make a historic impact in the war against poaching. The harsh reality is we have reached a crucial time in history. Helpless animals are under the urgent threat of being eradicated from our planet. And depending on what we do or don't do, we can lose rhinos in the next decade. By sharing this video, you can help raise awareness towards this serious issue. And by donating, you can go a step further to help organizations like Vepaw expand and advance in the war against poaching.